baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about things going on with the Atlanta Braves. And, of course, it's almost playoff time in Major League Baseball. we got a lot to cover as far as that's concerned. They'll be inside a bubble. We've got a different playoff format. We've got expanded playoffs as well. A lot of things to dive into with how that affects the Braves. And also, what's been going on with the Braves over the last week or two? Well, it's been pretty eventful. Freddie Freeman's making an MVP case. we got Adam Duvall leading the National League in home runs and a whole host of other things that we'll dive into on this episode of the show. Before I welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution into the show, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please leave those ratings and reviews and be sure to tell a friend if you like what you hear as well. You can follow the show on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, at From the Diamond with no underscore. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. All right, let's talk about the things that have been going on with the Atlanta Braves, really for the last couple of weeks, but with a focus of more what's been happening recently here as I welcome Gabe Burns back into the show Gabe, of course, covers the Braves on a daily basis for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and you can follow his work on Twitter at AJC. Gabe, good to sit down and talk some Braves with you again. It's been a minute for us, but the Braves, of course, they remain busy, and we got plenty to talk about today. We do. Thanks for having me, as always, and 10 games left until we get the playoffs rolling. It's absolutely crazy, and I guess it was to be expected in a 60-game season that we were going to blink, and all of a sudden a week or two weeks or a month was going to go by and we were going to be in this home stretch, as it were. And that's where the Braves find themselves right now. And in the midst of everything that's been going on with some of the injuries and the inconsistency that they've had, especially in the rotation, and the things that this club has had to overcome this year, right in the middle of all of that, kind of leading the way, if you will, is Freddie Freeman. And you and I have watched him on a daily basis for a while now. Braves fans have watched Freddie Freeman for the better part of a decade now, which is absolutely crazy to think about. But I think he's making his best case yet for National League MVP, and the numbers are backing it up. He's a top RBI man in the NL in the midst of another hitting streak, a long on-base streak, leading the National League in a wins-above replacement, and doing all of this after having to go through COVID-19 right before the season started. So uh, I'll just ask you, Gabe, I mean, how do you size up Freddie Freeman's chances to win the National League MVP in this crazy 60-game sprint of a season? You know, it's funny. Like the last couple days, there's been this push, or at least the social media push on like, from MLB, that Freddie Freeman is an MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. But before, basically the last few days, no one was talking about it. I'm not really sure what changed. I know Richard Justice wrote a story about maybe uh, this is Freddie's year to win MVP. 
maybe that got some attention. I'm not really sure what has changed on the national scale. Yeah. But he's he's been doing this for a while now. No doubt. Um, obviously, we've watched his whole career, but this season, uh, what he's done since he really rounded into form, I mean, he actually got off to a slow start, uh, which you know obviously wasn't too long ago in this season. But for him to be playing the way he is, his team is winning. Considering how the rotation has been, uh, considering what this offense is doing, it's on a historic pace. If you extrapolate the stats over a 162-game season. I mean, this is one of the all-time offenses, if not the – you know, it would be on pace to basically be the highest-scoring offense uh, ever. Yeah, for the uh, Braves, so, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> when you factor that stuff in and his leadership, I mean, Bowman and I had an MVP vote last year, and we had the two Atlanta market MVP votes – and we were two of very few people who actually voted Freddie ahead of Acuna in MVP voting. Mm-hmm. Basically, what I'm getting at is he's, he's always been an MVP candidate. Right. And this season and past seasons. So we look at this award and it's like, okay, well, I'm a rioter, so I understand this. These things are often narrative-based. Yeah. And what Tatis is doing in San Diego is just really, really impressive. They're turning it around. I mean, he looks like he is going to be, you know, a potential face of baseball for the next, you know, decade. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but Freddie still has better stats in almost all categories. Yeah, and that's more of a credit to Freddie than it is Tatis because obviously Tatis is pretty damn good. So uh, the Mookie Betts narrative. I mean, you've got that. You've got you've got the LA market helping him too. I don't know that Freddie is going to win the award, but to, to size all this up, anything other than a top three finish would be insulting. Uh, well, considering, I guess, how he plays in these next 10 games, you know, you never know. But the way he's going right now, I, I certainly think with this team's record, with his numbers, the way he has led this team, I mean, he just, when you're looking at an MVP and what you want statistically, what you want, you know, behind the scenes or anything, like, he just checks every box. Yeah, he really does. And, I mean, Fernando Tatis has had an outstanding season. And and when you start, you know, sizing up these MVP arguments, as you mentioned, there's a lot of narratives that will come probably generating from the market in which that player plays because you get to see him on a daily basis. But there's also a level, I think, of crossover appeal that gets you into that national conversation. And we saw it with Ronald Acuna Jr. last year, how quickly that can happen. I mean, his rookie of the year season was outstanding, but the things he started to do in year two were even more exciting and you start to look at baseball always looking for that next big star, that kind of thing I think always is going to be an attractive thing for not only for voters but also for fans, whether you're talking about an MVP or whether you're talking about, hey, we're voting for the All-Star game. Who's the most popular player in baseball? Tatis could be that guy for a very long time. But when you start to break down all the nuance that goes into an MVP vote or ballot, if you will, I mean, top three finish for Freddie Freeman seems to be a, a pretty foregone conclusion at this point, pending the results of the next week and a half's worth of games, of course. Tatis has cooled off a little bit in September. I don't know if voters will look at that and be like, well, you know, he cooled off a little bit, and that kind of allowed the pack to get a little bit closer together. Because I think that a couple of weeks ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said, well, Tatis is going to win the MVP award walking away. And that's no slight to Freddie Freeman. It's no slight to Mookie Betts or anybody else that would be in that discussion Tatis just looked that good at that time over the course of 162 games. Who knows how this would play out, but we're talking about a 60-game season, and 
you start to look at the stuff Freddie Freeman's been doing for a while now, it does seem like some of the underrated aspects of his career and the fact that he has been underrated for seemingly so long from a national perspective, this is a bit of a breakthrough season for him, which is weird to say 10 years into your career and multiple all-star appearances and all of that kind of stuff. But this may be kind of an awakening for some of the rest of baseball to see, hey, this Freddie Freeman guy is pretty great. Yeah, it's one of those things where everyone's like, yeah, we know Freddie Freeman is great. And it's just one of those kind of ho-hum, boring things, even on the national scale. When we do that to guys, they kind of become underappreciated. Yeah. I felt like even, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's prime years were underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And you could say, is that because he's a first baseman? Is it because he's in Arizona? Yeah. Whatever. So there are guys who kind of just go along like that. And with Freddie, I mean, the Braves have been in the playoffs the last two years, but before that, there was a playoff drought. And, you know, people are not watching a rebuilding team. No. So you have that aspect of it. You have the fact that Freddie does not really have a huge postseason moment. There's not anything that, you know, when you think of him in October, there's not these flashes and these moments that make you think about him. He hasn't, he hasn't been in an NLCS. He hasn't been in a World Series. I mean, there are things that you can understand why he kind of – he's not a flashy player like Acuna is. So you're not going to see him, you know, lighting up the highlight reel all the time, despite the fact that, you know, he's just incredibly consistent. That's yeah. the word that everyone with the team always uses, and that probably is the best word for it. Uh, consistently good uh, <laughs> would sound better, but, I mean – I certainly think he should be the front runner right now. Is he? That's hard to say. I mean, we'll see how Tatis plays in these last 10 games. I think that people are always going to be, it's a weird thing. Like when there's a story that kind of builds like what you have with Tatis and despite the fact he's cooled down, you know, a lot of people kind of put it into their minds. Like this would be awesome if he could win the MVP. And I say that, I mean, we see this in every sport. It's just kind of the way it works sometimes, and it's unfortunate. But I don't know how that's going to wind up affecting, you know, Freddie's odds. But the recent push on social media and the push of Freddie's stats on how he's leading the league in this and that, this and that, that's only going to help. And this team winning only helps. I mean, they've been winning, but they still, I would actually say that these last two years, I mean, they've won the NL East, and I would say that they're, as far as national uh, discourse goes, they're, they're still not up there uh, for whatever reason. So there's there's a lot of things that play into it, but uh, certainly, like you said, you know, barring a collapse here, he, he definitely has earned the top three finish. Yeah, and let me throw a few stats out there because I like to do my part on social media when it came to just kind of shining a light on Freddie Freeman. There were a lot of different things that I kind of knew but I wanted to look into a little bit more. And Baseball Reference allows you to really search and put together some great tables and and leaderboards, if you will. And I know we cherry-pick stats and things of that nature sometimes to fit a narrative, maybe inside a season of, well, why this guy is X percentage better than such-and-such guy, even though the whole thing's subjective. But when you start to look at the numbers, and I know that this doesn't win him an MVP award for 2020 because of what he's done the last five years, but – on base percentage leaders in all of baseball the last five years, Mike Trout, Joey Votto, Freddie Freeman. That's pretty good company right there. National League hits leader since 2018, Freddie Freeman, and then three Rockies that follow him, which kind of tells you a little bit about, you know, what kind of environment they're playing in as opposed to where Freddie Freeman is playing at least 50% of his games. 
Then you start looking at on-base plus slugging leaders in Major League Baseball over that same five-year span I mentioned a moment ago. Mike Trout, J.D. Martinez, Freddie Freeman, a 20-point drop, and then Nolan Arenado. And in that top 10, you don't even find a name like Bryce Harper, who just signed a huge contract with the Philadelphia Phillies and has an MVP in his trophy case. So you start looking at who Freddie Freeman is rubbing elbows with on some of these leaderboards, and when the top name is Mike Trout and then one other guy and Freddie Freeman, that's pretty elite company, and he's doing it again this year, and it seems like he's putting it all together inside of the 2020 season because he's on base in 32 straight games right now and is just driving the Braves' offense, which is a pretty darn good offense. Yeah, and, you know, as far as narratives go, too, uh, you brought it up earlier, but Freddie was legit worried for his life one yeah. night. I mean, he had the coronavirus, and it was horrible. I mean, he came back. I mean, he had, what, what five days to prepare for the season? Yeah. He came back and made it just in time for opening day. Got off to a terrible start. He just looked like somebody who hadn't been there. And once it clicked, it has not stopped clicking since. I mean, he's just been the guy that they can count on. Even, you know, when they got shellacked by the Orioles the other night, I mean, he had, I think he had two hits on a homer. Yeah. He's just been that guy. And as far as narrative goes there, I mean, it, it you know, for him to have overcome that and come and be playing like he is for a team that's been in first place really the entire year. So <laughs> there's definitely, and you mentioned the leaderboards. He's just, uh, I mean, he, he's a special player, yeah. and for him to finally get an MVP under whatever circumstances, it, it, would, it would be something really great for him and obviously for the franchise. Yeah, it definitely would be. If you want to check out some more of those stats, they're all over Twitter right now, but I posted those on my Twitter a couple of days ago, and they might have changed a percentage point or two, but the fact remains, Freddie Freeman has been in some pretty elite company. He's doing it again this year, and the Braves are the big beneficiaries of that. It's been a homer-happy, offensive-happy season for the Atlanta Braves. As Gabe mentioned, they have a chance to, at least on you know a per-game basis or whatever average you want to put with it, be one of the great Braves offenses of all time. It's almost a shame we don't get that other 100 games to see how much damage they could truly do over the course of a full season. And right in the middle of that has been another great story, and that's Adam Duvall. I mean, Gabe, this is a guy who grabbed a share of the NL lead in home runs over the last week. And his time in Atlanta has been quite an odyssey, and it's happened in under two years. How do you size up what Adam Duvall has done for the Braves since he was traded over from Cincinnati? A forgettable start, demotion to the minor leagues, um, a little bit of, I would say, redemption, if you will, last year in the postseason, and then to come out and do what he's doing in 2020. Adam Duvall has been a pretty important player for the Atlanta Braves. He has been. It's a story of, to sound stereotypical, it's a story of patience and perseverance sure. because patience from the Braves in that a lot of people thought they would just let this guy go after that first half season where he did nothing. And they just kept with him, and they kept with him after last year. And from his perspective, that first half season here was bad. And then he spent a ton of last season in the minor leagues. And he just <laughs> homered a ton there mm -hmm. until he came up and got his opportunity. I believe it was when Marquez got hurt. It's another – we've spent a lot of time talking about narratives. This is another great story. I mean, you can't help but to be happy for him, uh, you know, happy for the team. But, I mean, just really happy for this guy who really, you know, he was high risk. He could have easily just opted out of this season. He didn't have to play. Right. And he said he always felt safe. He wanted to be there with his team. And 
it's a good thing he did for them on and off the field. But all the credit in the world to him. Uh, so it, it's it's a great story, and for him to have emerged like this, and God, there's a lot of power in this lineup, isn't there? Yeah, you look for easy outs in lineups when you start to size them up. If you're a team, if you're fans, you're trying to compare your team to who you're playing. I don't know what the homework assignments are like for opposing pitchers, but I can't imagine that they're sitting there thinking, okay, well, if I can get around Freeman, or okay, if we pitch carefully to Acuna, or okay, if we minimize Marcelo Zuna, that's really not helping you out a whole lot. Sure, those are the big names, the driving force names, but then you still got to deal with Ozzie Albies, who just came back for the Braves. We'll talk about in a minute. Dansby Swanson's had a much better season, even if he's had you know a couple of uh, slumps, if you will, which go into any season, which we'll also talk about in just a moment when it comes to Ronald. But bottom line, one through nine, once you added a DH to the Braves, you gave them yet another weapon. And you see what a Travis Darno is doing as he's come over. Austin Riley's shown some signs, I think, this year after a slow start of putting some stuff together. It's just not a lot of easy outs when the Braves have the lineup the way they want it. And now with Albies back, I think they're finally getting a chance to do that. So Adam Duvall is just another wrinkle in what has been a really, really tough Braves lineup for opposing pitchers to deal with. Gabe, I mentioned Ronald Acuna Jr. has cooled off lately, and we get this a couple of times a year at least. And when he goes into a deep freeze like he has and everyone wants to overreact on social media and try to fix him and move him in the batting order or give him three days off or whatever it is that they feel might change whatever's going on with Ronald at the plate, I've watched this kid play since A-ball, so the last five years. And he's allowed to have a slump or two during the course of a season as every player is. More to the point, though, I feel sorry for whatever team is on the receiving end of when Ronald Acuna gets it going again and if the past tells us anything, it's going to happen sooner than later. And we know exactly what he can do once that switch gets flipped again. You know, they play the Marlins for four games oh. starting on Monday. Mm. That might be his target date. That's a good one. He tends to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he tends to like playing the Marlins, uh-huh. even if the last series wasn't great. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's not really – you're not going to see any panic from me about this. I, I mean, we know, we know the kind of player he is now. He goes through these ruts every now and then. Sure. And when he comes out of him, he comes out of him with just a vengeance. Just, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, you really think about it. The playoffs are in ten days. As long as you know you can get him going, at least he's starting to heat up a little bit within the next week. Maybe he'll hit his best gear uh, by the time October rolls around. So that yeah. that would be welcome for this team. So and he did it last year. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's panicking about this. <laughs> Uh, maybe they haven't watched Acuna that much. Sure. Cause we, we, I mean, we know what kind of player he is. We don't know what kind of player he's going to become because he's going to get a lot better. But we know to this point he's going to have these little ruts. It's not his first one this year. I mean, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, uh, going into this Mets series, you know, they'll just hope that if he doesn't get it straightened out quite yet, that the rest of the offense that, that you just outlined very well can carry it for now. Yeah, and we can't talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. without bringing up Ozzy Albies, and it's great to see him back in there at second base for the Braves. And, hey, he sparked the club to a 29-run outburst in his first game back. So he looks comfortable at the plate. Everybody looks comfortable at the plate on that night, though. But from both sides was the big thing for Ozzy. He looks good hitting right-handed again. With him back, I think we're finally getting a chance to see that whole group get back together. There could be some tweaks in this lineup at some point. I know Ozzie's hit second a lot for the Braves, but Freddie Freeman's looked pretty good at second for the Braves as well, though he looked pretty good hitting third as well. 
what do you make of how this lineup could shake out? Do you see Ozzy moving back to the top sooner than later? You know, I've thought about this some in recent days, and I've got a couple questions on it. I'm honestly not sure yet mm-hmm. what I would really do with this lineup. I think that everything that we talk about now is kind of with an eye toward the postseason right. and how the team wants to handle that. And I'm really of the mind that I'm just going to wait and see, you know, going into that Red Sox series, which is their last three games, and just kind of take a look at where the offense is at and maybe try, you know, just see what would be your best line at that time. And I do not think it's the worst thing that the Braves are playing the Red Sox in their last three games when the Red Sox are just a disaster, mm-hmm. uh, especially pitching-wise. So that can't hurt anything. But as far as the lineup goes, I'm kind of – I've liked seeing Freddie hit second. Me too. Um, yeah, I've liked that a lot. But in general, I'm just uh, I'm just going to wait and see how, how individuals and how the offense as a whole is looking uh, entering those last few days. And I think that's the way that the Braves will probably look at it as well because, I mean, if you could and you catch lightning in a bottle every night, you'd run out that lineup that scored 29 runs. But that's just not the way that that works. I mean, the Braves found themselves coming out of that game and then not too long after that having trouble scoring runs against the Baltimore Orioles, who, you know, to use that old phrase we hear a lot about and Braves, you know, whether it's social media or otherwise, you got to tip your cap every once in a while to who's going against you because you don't just lose on some nights. Some nights the other team actually wins, and it's not that you beat yourself every time, though – Sometimes it does feel like that. So regardless of, of all of that and, and some of the uh, the ins and outs and the, the ways that you can wrap your mind around it, I do think that the Braves are going to have a bit of a fluid situation with a couple of spots in their order. But Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to bat leadoff for this team. Freddie Freeman could hit second. He could hit third. Marcelo Zuna is going to be right behind Freddie wherever that goes. Maybe this is just something simple like changing out Ozzie Albies and Dansby Swanson again and seeing, you know, if that – gets Ozzy going for a while and helps recharge Swanson because a couple of times that Dansby's been moved, sometimes that seems like he breaks out of that slump right after that, getting a chance to hit somewhere else in the order. So regardless, the Braves have got a lot of options. And for you and I who saw the rebuilding team that did not have a lot of options and did not have a very (laughs) deep lineup, it's kind of refreshing to try to figure out these are the good problems that you have, how to get the most out of all the productive hitters you have because the Braves have at any given time five, six, seven, maybe even eight guys who can get going at the same time, which is pretty scary going into the playoffs. And I've said this quite a few times, and I'll say it again, and I'd be interested to get your feedback on it. But I think for this Braves team, the reality of their situation is they're going to go as far as their offense will carry them. Bullpen's been great, but with that many questions in rotation, the onus is really on the offense to carry the 2020 Braves in the postseason. No doubt. Look, that's not ideal. Everyone talks about the importance of pitching in the postseason. I mean, I mean, look, I, I, I get it, but this is what the Braves have. And we talked about this on the post-trade deadline podcast, but, uh, you know, and Snip mentioned it the other day, that this pitching situation, it's not all of a sudden going to magically be fixed right. uh, entering October. I mean, if this team, if this team goes on a run, uh, it's going to be because of decent pitching and their offense. Yeah. Uh, because we're you're looking at a scenario where you're probably going to be starting Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright, and we have zero clue what they're going to get from those guys. We really have zero clue what you're going to get from Cole Hamels, 
uh, at that point, and you know we'll see how how Freed looks coming back. He should be okay, but no doubt that this offense is going to be what has to carry it. Fortunately, yeah, you have the you know we'll, we'll talk more about the playoffs in a bit, I'm sure, but you know you have the best out of three series, and then you're going into the bubble, and we don't know how how that's going to affect things. I don't know how that's going to affect guys mentally yeah. or. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot to go. Well, we're seeing in the, in the NBA, and I know the baseball players are not going to be in there as long as the NBA players have, but that kind of stuff can affect you, and it is different. You know, to I mean, how is the intensity going to be uh, without fans? There's a lot that's going to go into it that uh, we'll talk about more, and we'll see unfold as it does. But yeah, I mean, this office is obviously this team's greatest asset, and I mean, I never would have thought that their offense would improve this year over last year. Yeah. But it's better. And but again, you know what? We saw this last year. This team won ninety seven games. It had one of the best offenses in the league, set a team record in homers. And when the postseason came up, a lot of guys didn't hit. Yeah. And, you know, I know Freddie was hurt, but uh, you know, Duvall and Swanson were really the two guys carrying most of the load there. And, and Ronald, yeah. yeah, and sorry, yeah, Anna Cunha. It's it's just unfortunate, you know, how last season ended, obviously. But we've already – I mean, it could very well happen again. I mean, we've already seen it, and that's kind of, you know, the dangers of, of banking on an offense. But it feels like this team, you know, it's right up there with, with last year's team as far as uh, offensive potency goes. While that's a great thing to have is a powerful offense, a lot of different things that have conspired against the Braves in the starting rotation. And we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of months when you lose four, five, six starting candidates for long periods of time for various reasons, whether that was injury or inconsistency or both, you know, the Braves have had a lot to overcome, and that's something that they're still dealing with right now. So let's talk about the rotation for a moment. Max Fried's injured list stint supposed to end on Friday. He's been uh, activated already, is in line to start the weekend back on the mound as the Braves get to work in New York. We saw Cole Hamels get back. I'm interested to get your thoughts on that, as brief as it were. Ian Anderson's been rolling pretty well throughout his first taste of the major leagues, but the rest of it is all still to be determined. You got Malone on the injured list. Robbie Erlin was released, which I think probably led to the release of emotions for a lot of Braves fans. Tuki Toussaint was optioned out again. Kyle Wright's been very hit or miss, no pun intended. And so we'll be answering some listener questions about this in a moment, but real quickly, getting freed back, huge. Seeing Cole Hamels back on the mound, or well, seeing Cole Hamels get on the mound for the first time, for the Atlanta Braves was a big thing. Uh, what were your impressions of what we saw in a very brief start for Cole Hamels? He looked like a guy who was still getting a feel for it again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a lot of good. I think he retired six of the first seven guys he faced. And then, you know, that inning kind of got away from him. But, yeah. And he, I mean, he even after the game, I mean, he said, he said this was unacceptable. I mean, that's how he basically described his performance, giving up three runs. And so you like to see that accountability and you like to see that mindset and you hope that the performance will eventually match that. But there was enough to go off of. I mean, look, the bar is very low here. (laughs) I mean, let's call it what it is. It's not going to take that much to, to improve this rotation and to be, you know, a quality guy that can help here. I mean, certainly they'd love to have Cole Hamels from 10 years ago, but yeah, I mean, where they are right now, they just need, some uh, just a steady guy who can cover innings and this is for the playoffs i mean you want to get him to a point that he can pitch five innings you know if he allows two or three runs over those five innings and your offense can do what it does then 
you're in okay shape, especially the way that your bullpen is sized up. So uh, he looked like a guy who I, you want to see more. You just want to see more before you kind of make a determination as to where he's at. But but I actually came away, you know, I saw mixed reviews on social media and everything. I, I came away more encouraged. Yeah. How good could he possibly be? I don't know. But I just came away encouraged from the point of, you know, he's not Robbie Erlin. Uh, no offense <laughs> to Robbie Erlin. Well, but that is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's already looks more reliable than Tukey. I mean, there's just, again, the bar is very low because of the injuries, and I'm glad that you did once again. I mean, look, we've beaten this horse to death about the injuries and everything, but people people are going out of their way to, you know, they're criticizing the front office of the Braves' mindset and everything, and I, I think there's a many, many reasons to criticize the front office, mm-hmm. but not here. This is a lot of injuries and a lot of ineffectiveness. Now, if you want to say they shouldn't have banked on Fulte and Newcomb like they did, I think that's fair. Because those guys, those were risky players. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they couldn't have seen the Cole Hamels thing coming. So just to round all that together, it's good that Hamels is back and, and you want to see more over these next couple outings. But certainly his his first appearance, you know, was reason for optimism. Yeah, and you start to stack everything together and how important Cole Hamels could be as you get into lining up your postseason rotation, which we'll take a shot at here and we'll probably see more about that and the things that we'll need to see to have that come together as a more full picture for the Braves in about a week and a half. But either way, I don't think you can understate at this point in the game, you know, how important Cole Hamels being back and being a contributor to the Braves rotation is, as Gabe mentioned, the bar set pretty low by some of the things that we've seen every fifth day for the Braves as they try to answer questions seemingly on the move week after week, not being able to cobble together a five-man rotation you can't even get two turns through the rotation and get the same five guys out there, it seems like. So a lot of questions that they've had to answer. And for a team sitting in first place with playoff aspirations and with a magic number that is now under 10 to clinch the division for the third consecutive year, the Braves have more things going right for them than they have going wrong. But man, those things that have been going wrong have not provided easy answers, that's for sure. Um, a few listener questions. I threw that out on Twitter on Friday morning to get a little bit of feedback and answer the questions you guys have going on. Uh, Jeremy asks, how many innings can we expect to see from Max Freed in his couple of starts as he tunes up for the postseason? I don't think he's going to be limited. Uh, I mean, there's no reason to believe he's, he's going to be limited right now. If he's in the fourth inning and he, you know, he's just feeling tired or something. So ideally, you'd like to see him go, you know, five in these next couple just yeah. to five plus I should say uh just to make sure that he's got his speed under him and that he's ready to go is that about what you would say Graham yeah I would agree with that I mean you see him go five six innings if he's rolling and can get through seven that would be great it's all about having him where he needs to be to perform in the postseason and if his back is not bothering him as it may have been his handful of starts before landing on the injured list then that I think is the big thing is just having him in a position where he's ready to take the ball and give you as much as he can and give you the kind of Max Reed performance that we saw early in the season. So I'd agree with that. Five-plus innings, six innings, uh, whatever it may be, getting a few times through an order because that's where the Braves have got to hang their hat. they got to get as much mileage as they can out of Max Freed, and this has been the story for a while since Mike Soroka got hurt. And I got an interesting question from Holden on Twitter as well. Assuming equal health, Gabe, would you take Max Freed or Mike Soroka moving forward? And I'll go first, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'm a Mike Soroka guy. I've been Team Soroka for a long time. This is not a knock on Max Free, but if you gave me the choice of one, health notwithstanding, 
I'm taking Mike Soroka. How about you? It's tough. It is. Uh, it's, it's, it's very tough. tougher. Yeah, it, it's a and it's a lot tougher too than you know. Had you asked this three months ago, mm-hmm. uh, which I th- I think that would have been a pretty easy answer for most people. You know, the health aspect of it, uh, eliminating that does make it easy. We don't. Soroka's had some fluke injuries, like the he had the shoulder thing. You know, and now he's got the Achilles, like. It's really unfortunate. It's fluke stuff. It's not like he's injury prone or anything. And it like remember Freed had the blister problems. Yeah. His first couple of years. I mean it was I mean, so it wasn't an easy go for him either. And I think last year he might have had one little incident with the blister at about the halfway point and that was it. I think he might have missed one start, maybe not even. I'd have to go back and look. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would take Soroka. I, I take Soroka pretty confidently just because because of what he did, I know some people wish that he would miss more bats. And everything. I look, I mean, Freed's a lefty. I mean, you can make a case either way, but I just feel most comfortable with Soroka right now, especially you know when I when I have the defense that I do. But again, like you said, it's no insult to Freed, who I think is. I mean, he looks like he's going to be a you know a strong number two, you know, a potential number one ceiling type of guy right now. And he's a dynamic pitcher. It's definitely look if you're picking between those two, you're you're, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, I think you are, and it may be a one A one B situation, which I think is what we were talking about yeah. at the start of the season when these two guys were giving the performances they were early on. I mean, there's about a three year age difference between the two. So if you're asking me to put on my virtual GM's hat, which I assure you I'm not going to be a general manager of a major league baseball club anytime soon, but age kind of has to be a factor as well. Not that. 26 almost 27 year old max freed is getting out of the prime of his career in fact he should be beginning the prime of his career which should be very exciting for braves fans and again it's just kind of fun to have these questions every once in a while that are a little bit more subjective than hey what do the numbers tell you you know who has the best performance this year and what is the clear answer to this there may not be a clear answer to this and i hope it's a fun debate for braves fans for the next four five six seven years you know, who do you like more, Max Fried or Mike Soroka? We can sit here and say, oh, who is your favorite of the big three if you want to get really hyperbolic with it? Do you like Maddox, Smoltz, or Glavin? I think Braves fans would love to have that situation going on again, and you don't have to have three guys. Let's have a couple of guys that you can debate. Hey, who's your staff ace? Hey, who's the guy that you like watching pitch the most? And, oh, by the way, you still get the other guy anyway. So it's a fun debate, and it's something I think that fans should have some fun with as well when you've got the kind of talent where you can ask these questions again these are, I would say, again, the good problems that I was talking about earlier, like with the Braves lineup. you got a whole bunch of good things going on as opposed to a whole bunch of question marks, which the rotation after Soroka and Freed has certainly been this year. Uh, one of those question marks, Josh on Twitter asks, it seems like we're not going to see Mike fulton again this year. If he's regained his weight and velocity, any idea why? Has he burned his bridges in Atlanta, or do you think it's service time related? Uh, I'll take a stab at this. I just don't think they're in a place where they can really count on Mike fulton right now with time being what it is running out in the season and the fact that he is a giant unknown that I'm just not sure that there's just enough time for him to get back and to prove himself trustworthy, if you will, of a spot in rotation for a club headed into the playoffs. What do you think? I keep coming back to, you know, they DFA'd him after one start. And, you know, they referenced that it was, you know, a short season. We don't really have time to – Time to kind of be patient with this. I mean, the, the reality is that that tells you how they how they feel about the player. Yeah. Um, that they moved, they wanted to move on without him when their rotation was in much worse shape than it is right now. And 
and they exposed him to all other teams, and they were fine with just losing him. And, you know, now you look at it, there's 10 games left in the regular season. Fulte's obviously not going to be on the postseason roster. So there's 10 games left in the regular season. Uh, I would be floored if he wasn't non-tendered. Uh, this winter so so yeah so what i mean i mean what what are you looking at here you just want to just get him a start for charity i mean yeah. i mean i'm not trying to be mean about it but when you really look at the situation it, there's just i mean what is there there's maybe like one or two more starts that are available right um but now that the rotation has four guys in it you know that you know that hamels and you know freed's back ian and Wright are going to pitch and then uh enoa who yeah, you know, Snit have pretty high praise for him, and mentioned that maybe they would try to get him another start. Yeah, and he's actually earned another start. Uh, so, you know, maybe you'd probably be better off just taking another look at him, a guy who you know maybe could impact your team next year. Maybe he, you know, is he going to be in your uh, postseason bullpen? I mean, he, he's kind of an intriguing guy, actually. Um, he's he's kind of had some moments this year that you, right. you want to see a little bit more and see what you have here. Whereas with Fulte, I, I think the I think the book might might be written on him here. Um, so I, I can understand uh, why there's intrigue uh, to see you know what what if his velo's up and he comes up here you know what can he look like. But it just it just certainly feels like that, that this thing is this thing is kind of over. And uh, now that's not to say they they won't end up doing it, but. I I mean, at this point, it just doesn't feel very likely. No, Eon on Twitter asked, will we see Fulte pitch again? Just a much more open-ended version of that question. And I would say you can't rule it out. I mean, they would have to make a 40-man move at this point, which they could do. I mean, they've got a couple of candidates as far as that's concerned. But, again, the time factor in a 60-game season, when you get designated for assignment after one start and not a very good start, and you've, you put together everything else that's happened in the backdrop of Mike Fultonevich's kind of tumultuous last couple of years. And it's just one of those things where you just don't have the time, I think, to find out or to do experiments. And even when we were talking about the trade deadline, like you don't have time to take a chance on a reclamation project because you don't have two months to get that guy ready for October. And I just feel like there's a lot of different things that have already played out, as you put it, you know, pretty succinctly. The, the, the book may be written here, and the non-tender, I think, is kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. Uh, they're not going to go back to arbitration, offer him an even bigger salary to continue to be a question mark or an enigma, if you will, in the Braves' rotation. Yeah. And, and it is a shame because the Fulte in 2018 was huge. He was an all-star for the Braves as they kind of arrived in postseason maybe a year or two before anybody expected him to get there. And then he threw one of the best postseason starts for the Braves last year in a series against the Cardinals that they very well should have won before it even got to a fifth game. But that fifth game is also kind of part of his story. He was the guy that started that, you know, historically terrible game for this franchise. And in postseason history, that's you know, not too many teams have had to deal with a loss that's been that lopsided, especially in one inning. And I don't know if that really played a long-term fact mentally or otherwise and, and some of the other things, but physically not where he needed to be to pitch and to have the velocity he needed to be successful the Braves had to make a decision. They made that decision, and I think they're going to stand by that decision by the time this year comes to a close. And, again, that's a shame for Mike Fultonevich, but that's kind of part of the business, uh, as it were. Let's turn our attention to rotations for the postseason. Mine would look, and I'm sure very similar to yours, Max Freed, Ian Anderson, Cole Hamels. And then for me, it's either Kyle Wright or Josh Tomlin. Jonathan on Twitter asked, does Kyle Wright make the postseason roster? 
So I'll ask you, Gabe, to address your postseason rotation and also where Kyle Wright does or does not fit into that for you. These next two starts for him are an audition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly you, you like what you've seen in these starts back. You know, he's taking steps forward that we've all waited to see him take. And just like with Hamels, I think you should be optimistic about it. But, I mean, if, if things get away from him again, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to hesitate here. They know what the deal is with him. And, you know, if he, if he can put together four starts of what we've kind of seen so far, I think he'll be your fourth starter. Yeah. But, again, I mean, they, they do have other options. I mean, we've, you mentioned Tommy Malone earlier. It's like we forgot he was even here. Not a tremendous start to his Braves no. tenure. It's a good thing they didn't really give up anything for him. Uh, I mean, let's hope not. We haven't even seen the player to be named, but at that point, a lot of people have joked, is Tommy Malone going to be his own player to be named later? (laughs) Yeah, they said that was a guy who was going to eat him. It it didn't happen. He wasn't hungry when he got here. Yeah, that one was a little bit of a swing and miss. But I wouldn't want to start Tomlin in a playoff game, but at the same time, I don't want to start the right that we saw earlier in the year in a Mm -hmm. playoff game. It's a tough point, but uh, you just if Wright just pitches well in his last two starts, I think it's two. I'd have to look at yeah, it should be right. I'd have to look at the calendar. Yeah, I, I believe um, he'll have two. I mean, we could sit down and kind of chart it out. But this is their final off day as we record the podcast. Yeah, uh, Thursday was their final off day, I should say, as we sit here on a Friday morning. But uh, as they get back and, and lined up, they have this series in New York. Then we'll, I believe, come home and wrap it up. And as you mentioned, close out with the Red Sox. So. They could skip somebody, I guess, if they felt like, hey, this guy could use the extra rest heading into the postseason. But at, at this point, it's not like they're sitting here with a whole bunch of options and, you know, trying to play mix and match on who is going to be in this postseason rotation. I feel like, I mean, I don't know if yours is any different than mine. You know, Max Freed's at the start. I would throw Ian Anderson in game two of a three-game series just to break it up between Freed and Hamels and then have Hamels in game three if healthy and that would have Hamels pitching in an elimination game if that was necessary, and with his resume, why not? Max Fried's your best starter. He's got to start game one, and I feel like Ian Anderson would kind of slot in between in that wild-card series, the three-gamer, as that being the spot that you want him. How do you size that up? That's what I would do, too. Hopefully, I mean, if you're the – I mean, obviously you're not – uh, you're not banking on it, but you would hope that you know you can just win those first two games and be for done sure. with that series. Absolutely. Uh, I would, yeah, it's not the kind of series you'd want to screw around with because anybody could beat anybody in that. Yeah, I would line it up the same way. And you can't, you know, I'm I'm going to go. I, this is going to break some hearts, and I'm just going to mention it, thinking about it. But man, <laughs> if Soroka was healthy, oh yeah, yeah, we're we're talking about a potential, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate. Obviously, we had it. We big fans of of Mike Soroka on this show, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really unfortunate what happened. But man, if if you had him and Freed, and then you had Hamels coming back, and you still had still had the young guys as options, you have this bullpen. You, you know how, how, especially now that there's no off days, maybe we'll get into that. But we will. Uh, it's really unfortunate because this team with this offense with those guys headlining it, it, it really could have been a special. Year. Still can be. Right. Still can be. It's not like it's not like the season's over. Um, so yeah, but I, I I would go with you. I'd break up the lefties and just see how it goes. Hopefully Anderson. You know he he's looked up to the big stage so mm-hmm. far. I mean as as big as the stage can get in an empty stadiums in the regular season. Uh, and I know that the Red Sox are a complete joke, but you know the Yankees and Red Sox in your first two starts, you beat them. That's that's pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, your first major league win comes against Garrett Cole. The Braves offense did yeah. what it needed to do against the top of the rotation pitcher in that game as Ian Anderson began his major league career. And whether or not it was the 27 Yankees, the 2019 Yankees, or the 2020 Yankees, both of these last couple had quite a few injuries to deal with. Whether or not that everybody in there or not, Ian Anderson did his thing. And I think he's capable of doing that again, at least to give the Braves a quality start and give the bullpen and the offense a chance to be difference makers in the game as well. So that's kind of how I see that sizing up. And let's talk about the playoffs a little bit. Got some very similar questions, just a little bit of nuance in between them. John on Twitter asks, with the new playoff format, which he opines hopefully a one-and-done thing, do you think the Braves will benefit or will it make things harder for them to win a championship in this unusual year? Uh, And that kind of goes with one of the other questions that we got, which is from Whitey. 83 on Twitter. Curious to hear your thoughts on the latest revelation. There'll be no off days in the playoff series, positive, negative effects, and how the club will kind of cope with that and whether or not the Braves are favored in that. I've already said, in my opinion, not letting clubs know that there would be no off days in the NLDS, the NLCS. I don't think that was very helpful. A wild card round as well. I, I mean, I can see, okay, let's just play three straight games, but I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of not knowing that there would be no off days in the postseason. At least it doesn't sound like it, especially prior to the trade deadline. I don't know if that would have changed the sense of urgency for Alex Anthopoulos or some of the other GMs, but it certainly doesn't play to the Braves' favor to not be able to reset their rotation, particularly in the five and or seven game series formats. Look, it's tough to say. It is. I don't think it should have changed any uh, sense of urgency because – if you're trying to win in the playoffs and you need pitching, then you should be trying to get pitching. Absolutely. And if you have a contender like the – I think someone with the Yankees referenced some frustration with MLB not informing teams that that was, that was going to be the scheduling quirk right. uh, before the deadline, which, uh, which apparently is the case. And that is a, another colossal screw-up on baseball's part mm-hmm. in a growing list of them. I, I don't know how in the world you cannot think about that and go, hey, maybe we should – you know, get this figured out, okay. you know, let teams know, hey, this is, you know, at least this is on the table here. I know they didn't have the bubble and everything finalized yet, but. Which is man, a whole that, other thing. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, everyone was operating on the assumption that there was going to be a bubble, but you can't do things based on assumption. And for them not to give them a heads up that, you know, we're doing, the, you know, assuming we get this bubble thing, there's something they could have done to signal to teams that, that this was the case, because that is, that's bad. Um, it, Potentially could have made for a more interesting deadline. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know what was going on behind the scenes with everything, but uh, it's difficult to look at. I don't think it helps the Braves. I'll say that. I, I don't think it helps any teams with question marks on the rotation. Does it help the Dodgers? I mean, yeah, probably, but I, I'll be really, really interested just to see how this unfolds because a team like you look at San Diego, I mean, now they've got a pretty impressive rotation there and, Look, we knew all along it was going to come down to how these pitchers can come together, right? I, I mean, the the bottom line, they're to the point that, you know, in the NLDS, Freed is going to start game one and or potentially start. But we'll see how he's used in the three. We don't even know how that's going to shape up yet. So Yeah, it really depends. A lot of que- yeah, yeah, a lot of question marks here uh, with just how all this is going to unfold. But my answer just at this time would be I don't really think it helps them, but it doesn't really change the bottom line, but MLB failing to notify these teams, and that's bad. I mean, that's a miss. 
Yeah, it's a big miss. And part of the problem with it is, and I had a few people that tweeted at me like, oh, well, what's the difference? All 30 clubs are dealing with the same thing. And I kind of can go back to the trade deadline and say, well, would this have changed some of that? I'm not sitting here telling you there'd be five more blockbuster trades of top starters being moved, but might it have changed things if you knew, hey, well, we got to deal with this scheduling quirk where we can't even lean on the things we know and be able to reset our rotation inside of a five or seven game series. I mean, at this point, you're going to have to throw somebody on short rest if you want them to get multiple starts in a five-game series especially because, let's face it, I mean, you start game one, you get two, three, and four, and you can start game five. Maybe that's comfortable. But if you get into the seven-game series, do you want to have your ace starter start games one and five and that's it? If you had the travel days in there, you'd have a chance of pitching at least two, if not three times, if you wanted to go old school and do it kind of the way that we saw it done, you know, not too long ago, but not too incredibly uh, many times are we seeing it happen now where you're pushing guys past their limits and past the turns through rotation and the normal rest that they have. But it is October. All bets are off. And most guys are going to say, hey, I want to go out there and pitch. I want to go out there and play. But your body's trained a certain way. I think the teams have had their mindset trained a certain way as well. And this is just a big yeah. thing to not mention to anybody. And I don't know what the big hurry is either. I mean, are they trying to get the whole thing in you know, before the election? I, I don't really know why they couldn't figure out a way to have those days. I know three-game wild card, totally different than one-game wild card, blah, blah, blah. But that can't be the thing that made all the off days go away for all the other series. And, again, it's – does it favor the Braves? No. Does it really favor anybody? Not really. But teams that have a different depth chart at starting rotation probably feel a little bit better about themselves. So uh, that's what we yeah. think of the formatting things for MLB. A uh, question, though, Bradley Johnson asks about this. Any teams the Braves should worry about facing in the wild card round? He's worried about facing the Reds, who are they're projected to face right now, the Braves are, as I believe that's what the Braves are the three seed heading into the weekend. That could change very quickly. But if they do face the Reds, Bradley says their starting pitchers are capable of cooling down the Braves' offense. Of course, that rotation led by Trevor Bauer. Uh, what do you make of the Reds? I thought they were going to be a team that would be sitting at the top of the National League Central. They are not. Still a dangerous club, though, and still in line to jump into October, which I'm sure they're very happy about. Uh, Gabe, how do you size them up? And is there any other team that you're kind of hoping that the Braves don't draw as they head into the wild card round? You know, I picked the Reds to win the Central, too, and I just kept thinking, like, they're going to be in when it's all said and done. I just had a hard time believing that they would wind up missing, uh, despite the fact they had a pretty tough start. It just never really got going for them, and now they're playing pretty well. I think it's a, obviously, you know, you've got Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray. I mean, well, Sonny Gray <laughs> may be out. That's one thing that has happened over okay. the last week is he's dealing with an injury that has put a big question mark into that rotation. But still, in a three-game <clears> series, if you got to deal with – Trevor Bauer at his best this year, which he has been more times than not, that's kind of a, a scary thing to look at for any offense. Yeah, well, the gray thing would change things, but but yeah. you're right. Bauer has been uh, quite possibly the NL's best pitcher this year. That's a team that's – I think that team is a little scarier than its record is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think most would agree. As far as if there's – you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at all the different teams that the Braves could face. I mean, obviously, uh, San Francisco is – probably the weakest roster of that bunch and getting Kapler in a playoff series sounds <laughs> good. Oh, yeah. uh, so, I mean, certainly that would, you know, if you found a way to match up with them, uh, that would probably be ideal. But the rest of the teams, I mean, if they could face the Marlins, that, that would be tough. I think 
with the way Sanchez is pitching, and yeah, he uh, looks like just, the real deal right out of the shoot. Oh my gosh, he's he's incredible. I mean, good for them. That, that guy looks. Uh, the Phillies better resign Real Muto because that guy's going to be really, really good. He already is, but really impressive pitcher there. And you'd have to face him, and that team is just playing with nothing to lose. So you know, we'll see how the Braves do against them next week. I mean, I, look, I'm not hyping up the Marlins as a huge threat to the Braves or anything. I'm just you know, those kind of teams, those young teams with nothing to lose and you have that front line guy. I, I just, yeah, you know, you never know with that kind of thing. And even the Phillies, I mean, that bullpen just continues to fall apart, but the rest of the team's pretty good. And, uh, we already know, you know, the Braves postseason history with St. Louis, if they wound up drawing St. Louis, right? man, you know, I, I've thought about this one too. And there's not other San Francisco would be the one I would want, obviously. Uh, if I'm the Braves, but everyone else kind of presents different challenges. And and one thing you'll see is, you know, Bauer, Sanchez, Nola, the odds are uh, you're going to be facing a frontline starter. Yeah, I don't think there's two ways about that. I mean, the big thing that I look at with the Marlins is that if you start to look at their club and really break it down offensively speaking, I mean, you've got some guys that are having – the best year that they've had. You've got some guys that you might even say are kind of underperforming right now, but the Marlins are a club that when you assemble the whole thing, they're much better together collectively than individually expecting somebody to be the flag bearer or the the centerpiece of their offense or really even their, their rotation has been until Sanchez arrived. Quite a few question marks there pitching wise. I, I mean, they had some things that they had to, address and figure out they've had some ups and downs from some of their other arms but they're a good club they're a young club and they're at this point I feel like a team that's playing with house money because with five more wins this year they can guarantee themselves a 500 season that may not sound like a big deal but as you and I both sat through the Braves rebuild 500 sounded pretty good some years just to know not only for the team perspective but also for the fan perspective just to know your club had a chance of you know, pretty much winning or losing each and every day. And it wasn't, man, when are we going to break this losing streak? That kind of thing, I think, inside of a club, the culture, I believe, is really changing for the Marlins. And it was a joke for a long time. It was a joke even when Derek Jeter's group came in about, oh, yeah, they're going to change the culture, I'm sure. But it does seem like they are assembling a young and hungry team that, again, has nothing to lose this year and maybe a pretty tough club, you know, come postseason. Braves have handled the Marlins pretty well for quite a while, but you know, weird mm-hmm. things happen in the postseason, and it's a very small sample size, and it really depends on who gets hot for that three, three and a half, four weeks, whatever you want to call it, through October that can win or lose you a championship in the case of clubs that have had much better records than the Marlins or the Braves, for that matter, that have gone home early with a first-round exit, and we've seen an awful lot of that over the last couple of decades. Yeah, and look, if you lose to Bauer or Nola or Sixto or whoever, if you lose that first game, I mean, you're obviously you're in a, you have to win the next two. Yep. You know, you're going to have to face one of these guys. Say what you will about the rest of the team. I mean, in the Phillies' case, we know their lineup is good. We know that Nola's pretty good. And, you know, that's not going to be an easy thing. I mean, even against that bullpen. And then the Marlins, you see a team that's playing with house money. And that, that's kind of a scary thing. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to feel the same pressure, I don't think, because they're the Marlins. I mean, if you're ranking professional franchises in sports, I mean, they they might be the biggest joke in every sport. Uh, they, I mean, they might be the last-ranked franchise 
just overall of, of anything. Like, no, no one cares. And for them to suddenly be turning this thing around, especially after their, you know, the stupidity that they had at the beginning of the season, uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for them to have uh, turned this thing around like they have, and uh, for them to have a, you know, a, a guy who looks like he, he could be competing for Cy Youngs for a while. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the Braves have uh, have beaten the Marlins handedly over the years, but uh, that that's certainly one that uh, that could be scary. And you know, Cincinnati. Look, it's it's not going to be an easy thing. I mean, I I feel like even if the Dodgers, you know, they're the one. So even if the Cardinals were the eight, I, I mean, I, I you you can ask the Dodgers fans; they're not going to feel great about that either, just because it's the Cardinals. Uh, you know, as stupid as that sounds. There's not really going to be any freebies here. I mean, this three-game series could be tough, and especially when you're staring at having to beat one of these top guys in the first game. Yeah, it could be tough. I mean, the Marlins are a club that was 48 games under 500 last year. They lost 105 games, and they were 35 games under in 2018. And you think about what happened in 2016, 2017 when they started dismantling their you know, outfield that you thought would carry them for a long time. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton signed his huge contract. You had Christian Yelich there. You had Marcelo Zuna there. at JT Romuto, obviously. They had a talented core. They broke that whole thing down. And a couple of years later, they're starting to reap the rewards of some of those trades that they've made by seeing guys like Sixto Sanchez come up and play a big part of their success in 2020. Now, they're going to have to continue building on that, and we'll see. But 2020 is an exciting opportunity for a club like the Marlins. So, Long story short is we're not doing a Miami Marlins podcast is they could be a dangerous club. I think if you get the Giants, that's probably the best draw that you can get. I just don't think that the Braves are going to get into that situation where the Giants would fall to them unless the standings kind of move around quite a bit over the next uh, week or 10 days. And uh, that could happen, but we'll see. Uh, That wraps up our playoff portion of this. A couple of questions about the winter and I guess things that, you know, maybe kind of factor into everything that's gone on with the loss of revenue for clubs across baseball this year how do you foresee liberty media spending in the next few years will they slash operating budget and continue to make cuts that comes from at facts underscore evidence on twitter Uh, we saw the braves make a large swath of cuts across the organization or throughout the organization earlier this week really hate to see all those people there are so many talented people that make a baseball team run from a game day operation standpoint to the minor league operation standpoint, the scouting standpoint, marketing, whatever it may be, there are so many people, and they've been affected negatively by the huge drop in revenue for not only the Braves but the entire sport of baseball. So I hate to see that, first and foremost. Just want to throw that out there. Um, Gabe, I'll answer this as succinctly as possible. I do think that clubs are going to slash payroll this winter and moving forward. I'm not sure what it does to the state of the game, but – as an overall economy as a country, but also as a baseball economy, things are going to change based on what's happened this year economically. Yeah, things are going to change. Uh, the Braves will have a lot more time to analyze and, sure. and discuss this after the postseason, but the Braves do have a lot of money coming off the books. Even if you operate, uh, they are going to drop payroll. I mean, there, there's no question about that. Obviously, just look at the shape that ownership is in right now. And just, I mean, there's just, they're not going to increase payroll. Right. Uh, so it's just a matter of how far is it going to drop and how much wiggle room is Alex going to have to kind of to maybe re-sign Ozuna or bring in player X or player Y to help out. Uh, I mean, it, the, the team will look differently, but at the same time, 
again, you have to, and we've talked about this on here before, I believe it might have been off air, but I think it was on. There really is a lot of money coming off the books. So yeah. it, it's impossible for us to say at this point, like, okay, this team would have X amount to spend because we, while we know how much is going to be coming off the books, we don't know where the payroll is going to wind up landing at. Right. But put it this way, I would think they would have the money to maybe retain Ozuna, assuming you know they want to, the rate is reasonable, or maybe go out and get another guy on maybe a one-year deal or something. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where they're just totally pinched and they can barely spend anything. But you know, are they going to be able to commit like what they did last offseason, two big one-year deals? They signed Chris Martin, they signed Darno. I don't think they're going to be able to do something like that again. I'm so sorry for the people who lost their jobs through the layoffs. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, it's, it's happening mm-hmm. all around the country. But with, with the Braves, you know, uh, putting the on-field aside for a minute, this organization is really good. And we're, we're not just saying that because we're around it, but they've always run a pretty high-level operation here. And, I mean, even from, you know, the people working at the stadium to people doing social media work, they do a lot for fans. It's a really well-run organization, uh, the product aside. And I, I just I hate it for all those people. And, 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 you know, I hope that better days are ahead for everybody. Most definitely. It's very well said. Other questions about the winter, a couple of them. We'll wrap this thing up from Jacob Suttles on Twitter. Who do you think will team up with Travis Darno next year behind the plate? I expect Alex Jackson, but do you think William Contreras might get a shot next year? I think it's William Contreras next year. There's the outside chance the Braves could bring Flowers back for another year if they don't think Contreras is quite ready and maybe AAA would benefit him a little bit more. But uh, I think Contreras could. What about you? Yeah, uh, I, I would think it would be Contreras unless they do feel more comfortable just bringing Flowers back. It's not like he's going to break the bank. Right. So they could do that. But uh, I would actually go ahead and, you know, again, it depends on how they feel as far as managing pitchers, do they want flowers in the room? But now that you have Darno, now that you have a veteran who's actually who's pretty good, I would say he's ex- certainly exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone thought he would be pretty decent, but he, he's certainly exceeded that. I would go ahead and roll with Contreras behind him, especially with Darno having just one more year on his deal. That little bit we saw of Contreras earlier this year was pretty tantalizing. Pretty good stuff. Uh, yeah, I thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I was really impressed, and he looked like a guy who was who was ready for this. Uh, you know, we, we've kind of spent a lot going back and forth about, yeah, is, you know, is he ready? I mean, it was a small look. It was a small sample size. You would have thought Austin Riley was a Hall of Famer in his first sample size. <laughs> right. uh, but I would go ahead and do that. And, uh, you know, one thing that this organization has kind of lacked, and, and they've tried to bring a few of these guys in, is just veteran catching depth. You know, they've added a Rene Rivera or whoever during the season. You know, maybe just, you know, have somebody ready. But I would feel okay about having Contreras as your backup catcher going into next year and seeing. Now, that's not – you don't really know totally what you're going to get. But, man, it is really intriguing. And then you also think about you've got Langoliers in the pipeline. And uh, it looks like the catching situation here, the future is pretty bright. Yeah, you've got good options for the future, and clearly Langoliers probably a year or two away from you know really knocking on the door. This has just been a weird season where William Contreras was thrown in, got an opportunity early on because of COVID, because both Braves catchers were showing symptoms and had to be sidelined, quarantined, or whatever it was for a little bit of time. But that audition, if you will, if you want to call it that, however brief it was, made you feel pretty good about where he is currently and where he could be trending in the future. So I like William Contreras, and 
I think that offensively speaking, he's really come a long way. And you can tell from the adjustments he's made at the plate that he may finally be able to tap into some of his potential there. And he's already pretty good behind the plate. I've liked him, but you have to continue to grow and to, you know, sharpen those tools or polish things up as you go. I mean, you can't just say, hey, I've arrived. I'm hitting a little bit. I'm just going to do everything in coast. It's just about the constant game of adjustments and constantly trying to find something to make your game that much better. That's a big part of player development. And certainly as you're trying to finish things and be ready to get to the big leagues to stay, that's a huge part of it as well. Final question comes from Michael who asked, do the Braves have a shot at Trevor Bauer? Um, I'll let you go first and then I'll throw my answer in there. Uh, If he does this one year deal thing, we keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, If he actually sticks to it and that's what he wants to do, uh, he's going to have a lot of suitors even in this climate with the way that these executives love these one-year deals, getting a top-of-the-line starter uh, on a one-year deal is something that teams are going to be falling over themselves to do. I mean, what are you looking at? Again, this kind of goes back to the spending question. You know, uh, do you want to keep Ozuna? Because that's going to cost a good bit. And then you're looking at, okay, can you sign Ozuna, give Trevor Bauer a one-year $25 million deal? At least. And – yeah, yeah, and fill in a couple because you're losing Shane Green unless you re-sign him. Uh, Melanson's a free agent, so you, you're bullpen too. Uh, those guys are free agents, and I'm not saying that Melanson's going to break the bank. Green could get a nice payday from somebody. Sure, um, go close with the way, with the way, Yeah, yeah, with the way that teams need bullpen help and the way he's, he, his resume now and the way he's looked, I, I would think that he's put himself in pretty good shape even in this market, and maybe even a team like the Phillies looks at him, you know? Yeah. But – they better so, be looking at everybody. Well, there's that, too. You know, would they have a chance at him? I mean, I think Bauer's going to have his pick of options. I mean, he said, I think he said before the season started, you know, he's from Southern California, and he, he always wanted to play for the Dodgers. They love these one-year deals. They love going short-term. That was their thing to Bryce Harper, too, was a shorter-term deal. Uh, the Angels, they are just, you know, I mean, they're desperate for pitching help. Yeah. He's really tight with Clevenger. I don't know what San Diego's spending ability is going to be, but maybe since they're clearly in all-in mode, mm-hmm. so if they could, you know, maybe uh, Clevenger recruits him there. <laughs> I don't know. You know, maybe he likes it in Cincinnati. I mean, feels like no one's really talking about him just staying in Cincinnati. Maybe he likes it there. I don't know if they could keep him. I don't know what their financial situation is. I know they spent a lot last winter. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of bidders at this table. And history tells us that usually doesn't work in the Braves' favor, either by their decision or the players. But you you can never say never. And this is a good situation for especially, you know, this team's defense. I mean, their offense, even without Ozuna, it's a good situation for a pitcher. So, you know, be it Bauer or somebody else, I I would think that anybody would would pick up the phone and listen uh, when the Braves are calling. I think the Braves are going to have to go out and get at least two starting pitchers. I say proven starting pitchers, even if they want to bank on Ian Anderson, say being no worse than their fifth starter next year, and then figure out, you know, what other young arms are candidates to either be the fifth starter or find a spot in rotation, however it shakes out. But, you know, you don't necessarily know for sure what Mike Soroka's timetable is going to be. You feel good about Max Freed, clearly, from what he's done this year and last year that matter but if Cole Hamels is going which would seem to be a foregone conclusion they're gonna need some veteran 
arms in that rotation and some dependable guys as well, not necessarily bounce-back candidates, reclamation projects, whatever else you want to call them. They need to get some dependable arms that can get innings. And as you mentioned earlier, whether it's Trevor Bauer or anybody else, if you've proven that you are reliable or have a higher ceiling, you're going to have a lot of clubs after you. So I think if Bauer does the one-year thing, this was my only thought on this as a, as a not-so-well-renowned armchair GM, if you offer him a guarantee that's very competitive, say it is $25 million, and then you have a mutual option for second year with a very high buyout, meaning that if both sides decide that they don't want to continue after that year, then the club would pay that buyout, and that would thus make his one-year deal even more lucrative because he got his buyout and can go hit free agency again. Say that's $6 million. Now all of a sudden you're at one year and 31 guaranteed, though 25 of it's what comes up front. And then say the next year would kick in for 25 or $27 million. And maybe you do a series of these options, if you will, which would allow him to at any time become a free agent or would allow the club and Bauer to continue their arrangement for however long it's mutually beneficial based on it being mutual options. Now that could be some real pie in the sky kind of stuff that nobody's ever going to talk about, but I thought that that might be the way to give the club at least the option of retaining him. And once he's been offered the qualifying offer one time, it's not like teams every year are going to be able to hit him with that if he signs one year deals for the rest of his career. And that's a good thing for him. And I'm sure he's well aware of that. I'm sure he doesn't need me to tell him the situation with qualifying offers. is not awesome for free agents as it's shown for a lot of guys, but Whatever the case is, we'll have a lot of time to spend on the hot stove. I think you're going to have to be creative to sign Trevor Bauer. I'll leave it at that. And there's going to be a lot of competition to try to get him to join a rotation amongst contending teams when he hits free agency this winter. Yeah, and it's also worth bringing up, too, if you're a mid-market team and you're going to the trouble of trying to give him $31 million guaranteed mm-hmm. over a year, maybe you're better off with two $15 million pitchers. Sure. I mean, again, you know, we'll have to look at the free agent market. We'll have to see. Yeah, this know, is like, pure speculation uh, in its, yeah, its yeah. finest I mean, like, and most my, distilled form. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like Mike Miner will be – I mean, there's going to be, like, guys out there that you're, where you can dive into their stats. Like, what really happened here this year? Was this guy on the decline? Is he – you know, was this just not – there's going to be lots of guys like that. The market's going to be weird, so we don't know really know what to expect. You know, just because the Dodgers gave Mookie that mega deal does not change just the general gloomy outlook right. here for free agents. That was obviously an outlier. So there's going to be a lot to get into. But I, I think if you're a team with a payroll the size of the Braves, when you're looking at it, is it worth this huge amount of money to this guy if you can acquire this, this, and this at the same money? And that's right. the question that Alex is going to be asking himself. And as sexy as it would be to sign a guy like Bauer uh, for one year, I mean, it just – I'm not going to say it bucks the trend of what this team does because they've done very well on one-year deals. And uh, they gave Donaldson, you know, what was it, the biggest uh, one-year free yeah. agent signing ever? $23 million. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, if anything, Alex has shown that he loves doing that, uh, but at the same time, when you're looking at who might be available and when you're looking at the amount of holes that this team might need to fill, uh, and Ozuna is a huge part of this equation as far as what spending is going to be because you're either going to have to you're either paying him or you're finding a way to replace him. Right. And I, neither one of those options is going to be cheap. So, and like you said, you need multiple starters. So, however, if you do sell yourself on, okay, you get to the postseason and you have. Soroka, Freed, and Bauer, that's pretty good. 
Yeah. So if you sell yourself on that and you can find ways to cheaply fill the other spots, then sure. But I, I mean, again, this is, they're going to cover all their bases with this. They're going to look at this and we're going to talk about it and analyze it a ton sometime probably in you know late October or early November or whenever. So yeah. it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting and it'll be fun to talk about as always. No doubt. Hot stove is fun. At least it's fun when it doesn't last an extra, you know, four or five months in the case of 2020, yeah. but Either way, there'll be a lot of time to talk about a lot of those things. And again, the Braves and every club are probably going to have to look for ways to make their money go further than it ever has before. So it'll be interesting to see what that means for the spending trends for free agents. Also, how that would impact the ability to take on contracts and trades and things of that nature as well. All of that is kind of up in the air right now. But we have reached the end of our time to talk about not only that, but all the stuff going on with the Braves. We covered a lot on the show. I appreciate all those questions that you guys put out there on Twitter. I, I try to monitor those throughout the week and have them you know shape the questions and the conversations that we're going to have obviously some stuff pretty much jumps off the page but it's always good to get that feedback so keep those questions coming throughout the week if i don't answer it on twitter maybe i'll get to it on the show you never know if it's a good enough question to have a conversation about then there's a good chance that some of those tweets might make the show we might do another one of these q a's so gabe i appreciate all your time we went a little bit longer than we usually do but it was a lot of fun and again we got to talk about a lot of things going on with the braves and kind of start looking at the playoff picture, which is going to be weird and different and very non-traditional, but October baseball is quite exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. And we, we covered past, present, and future with this team. For sure. So uh, I'd say we did well. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Hope you have a great weekend. and look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode. For sure, you too. So that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please share it with a friend if you feel so inclined and enjoy what you hear on the show as we enjoy bringing it to you each and every week. You can find the show on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And Gabe Burns is at Gabe Burns AJC on Twitter as well. The show is on Instagram at From the Diamond. I am on Instagram at Grant McCauley. And everything, including every episode of the show and so much more, is available at FromTheDiamond.com. Thanks again to Gabe Burns for talking about all of the things going on with the Atlanta Braves across the past, present, and future, as it were. And we're looking forward to more of these chats and some playoff baseball is in the offing as well. Very exciting time to be a baseball fan as we come down the stretch in September and head toward October. And we'll get into all the things going on with the Braves next week as well, right here on From the Diamond. For Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.